you are our poetry expert. Which fills me with dread. Hi, I'm Annie Muir and this is Time for One Poem. In this episode, I talk to the poet, Afshan D'Souza Lodi, and my poetry sceptic slash expert is Kirsty, a Save Glasgow Libraries campaigner who works for the charity United to Prevent Suicide. Afshan tells me about growing up in Manchester in a family of South Asian poets. Then me and Kirsty go through Afshan's poem, Black Marigolds, discussing book club cheats and honesty in relationships. Hi Afshan. Hello, hey Annie. Thank you for coming to talk to me about poetry today. Thanks for having me, I'm, uh, I'm really excited. Okay, so first, since this is a podcast for beginners, complete beginners to poetry, I want to ask you, what is a poet and what is your day-to-day life as a poet like? Wow, what is a poet? So um, the best definition I've ever heard about what a poem is comes from Dorothea Smart um, in Scribe. Um, and she told me a poem is something, um, it's basically prose, but it doesn't go to the end of the page. And they kind of press enter before the poem goes to the end of the page. And I was like, that's a really good way of looking at it. Um, and for me, that's how I come to poetry. And that's how I um, relate to poetry and that it has to be quite accessible. At the moment, my day-to-day life is, um, I launched a poetry collection called Ari Desire last year. So it's been exactly a year now since that book came out. Um, So a majority of my poetry life is around sort of doing um, panels, doing performances. Usually it's in person, at the moment it's online, doing workshops for emerging poets, mentoring writers. Um, But I'm also a screenwriter um, and a playwright on the side. So I kind of do a lot of workshops around that as well um I try and write every day but um it doesn't always get like that so <laughs> so you see the screenwriting as being on the side of the poetry <laughs> no I see my <laughs> no oh god no please don't tell any of the producers I'm working that that, that. I said that um, no it's more like they <laughs> they sit side by side I also write fiction so I feel like for each idea it will either live in like poetry form or fiction form or like on screen or on stage um, or like will be a radio piece or will be like comp- something completely different and some of the pieces will kind of go over a couple of different forms and that's okay so I, I feel like I do all of them as and when the mood strikes me like right now I'm doing a short story course at, with Desiree Reynolds at Comma Press and that's like really fun um, like being an attendee of a workshop because I'm so used to running them so I have to like take a step back and I'm like no no this is not your workshop to run um, but then I'm also doing some um, screenwriting stuff I'm, I'm working with um, Sky Studios on a tv series with Gloria Amir um, so there's that happening and then the the poetry stuff so it feels like it's all like running at the same time uh, it all runs into each other it could be poetry one morning and then script writing in the evening. So you're very busy it sounds like isn't everyone these days? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I mean, I have, I have enough time to watch Love Island, which is the okay, important good. thing. So yeah. Okay. <laughs> so we're talking mainly about the poetry today. I know you yes. do lots of great stuff, but can you remember what or who or why you first got interested in poetry and writing in general, but mainly poetry? 
Yeah, so um, I come from a family of poets um, in that we're South Asian, so everybody's a poet. Um, they, just don't, they just don't do it as a job. Um, so my uncle, my dad's brother, elder brother, um, had a poetry collection that he wrote, or the, my dad recites poetry on the regular. When I was a kid, they would um, do events in Manchester where they'd invite poets and singers from Pakistan, India to perform. So kind of like I'd been in that silent circle for a long time, but never really acknowledged it. Um, and I didn't really write a lot of poetry until, well, no, I, wrote, I wrote like bits and bobs and sort of experimented. Um, but when I was like nine, 10 years old, I applied to um, a grammar school. And as part of like the interview process, um, you had to bring a project that you were working on. And I took in this like poetry collection, which was all like rhyming poetry that is so bad, like written in like this old diary. It was like 1993 Aww. or 1996 diary. Um, and it was like this really badly like, poems about my teacher like it was just like this some of them were so bad like and I remember reading a poem out that I'd written like in front of the class about Mr Fisher my head teacher in, in primary school um I've got to find it at some point but it's like it's ridiculous um and then sort of like I didn't do anything with poetry until I was in school we studied a lot of poets and I think the first poet that I found that really resonated with me was in a really weird, strange way. Was Seamus Heaney's poem "Digging," and uh, between my finger and my thumb, the squat pen rests the snuggles of gun. And I remember thinking, "Oh my god, you can write about guns in poetry!" Like, <laughs> what? Suddenly, I was like, "Okay, poetry is clearly the thing I need to do." It um, wasn't really about the gun. Really, no, <laughs> no, but also, yeah, it really wasn't about the gun. It's a, it's a brilliant poem about like, um, you know, fatherhood and and family and about the troubles and and potatoes and so much more stuff than about the gun. But I think for me, it was poetry had always been like so in the South Asian tradition, poetry is very much around talking about love and talking about love for God and intoxication by God and nature. And it feels quite um, sanitized in some respect. It's really beautiful, but it's a very specific kind of poetry. And then reading Seamus Heaney's Digging was so, it felt so gritty and felt so real. And I was like, he's talking about a gun. Like, isn't that such a beautiful image? Like between my finger and my thumb, the squat pen rests, as snug as a gun. And I just remember re repeating that and kind of going, yeah, like, you know, that's the kind of stuff I want to write. If I'm going to write something that's got to be, you know, in the kind of like vein of like poetry, which is sort of semi-traditional, but also saying something that's so hopefully quite real and quite relatable to people. Um, and it was just exciting to read the word gun. And then, you know, the second poem that I really like resonate to is, um, oh my God, uh, Philip Larkin's um, a fam poem about family. Oh my they God, fuck you up, your mum and dad. Yeah, they may not mean to, <laughs> but they do. And I remember being like, oh my God, he swore in poetry. Um, <laughs> But it's also really true. Like, it's a line that I use, like, on a daily basis. You know, someone says something about the parents, like, well, they fuck you up, your mum and dad. They may not mean to, but, you know. And it's like, and those are, like, two very, like, very strong images of, like, studying poetry in school because that was my only way of coming to it in English. Um, but they really resonated with me because it felt really real. Um, and it was only when I, until I met Adam Lowe that I actually started really writing, rewriting poetry properly and really getting into performing and kind of, finding those emotions, you know, that I got from from reading and hearing poetry in Urdu, um, my, my mother tongue, but also hearing poetry and, and understanding poetry in English as I did in school and sort of putting all those things together to write my own poetry, which I think I've sort of done in the collection, Ari Desire, um, but I don't know, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> so in the preface to the book, you talk a bit about Hindi and Urdu literary traditions, and you say that 
um, Urdu poetry is often recited, not read. Yeah. Would you say you your poems are, do you care more about performing than people reading it at home or equally? It's such a, I love this question, such a funny thing. So the understanding that I had come to when I was reading and understanding poetry as a young person was that po real poets were page poets and the performance poets were, were performance poets, they weren't poets, right? And that's a really racialized understanding of the poetry industry. And I think, you know, a lot of other writers have written more eloquently about that than, than I'm speaking about it now. But my understanding of it as a kid, again, was going to mushairas, which are these sort of spoken word events that take place. And they're really kind of, some of them are really highbrow and they're really like linguistically driven. And I wanted to recreate that in English, knowing that I wouldn't be able to be in every space and perform in that way. So I'm hoping that, you know, so I, so with this collection, I kind of, I did two things. One was that I really like page poetry. I love looking at it. I love reading it. I love playing with the way that words are written and words sound in English, um, which actually is very different to Urdu because in Urdu, a particular word, if it means something different, will, will be written slightly different or will have a different kind of like, um, uh, inflex on it right whereas in English you don't have that so the word red you know r-e-a-d can be read as read but also as read depending on the context of it um but if you really wanted to play with it you could put r-e-d and put red in and if you read the word red as r-e-d you'd read it as a color but as you're speaking it out loud to yourself because that's what you do when you read you're reading it as red as in re reading in the past tense so I wanted to play around with that which is why the for me the page poetry is really interesting and really um really key to, to my collection but then I also really like performing and I'm, I guess I'm a, I do a lot of performances. I do one person shows and write for the stage. So there are a couple of poems in here that are made for performing and you'll be able to notice because they're a lot longer. Um, linguistically, they kind of flow a little bit better. Um, you know, the contrast would be like my poem 1.5, which is very much around um, being a 1.5 generation immigrant um, or migrant. And, it, and it's, a, it's a poem that is supposed to be heard because it's quite musical, it's quite lyrical, is a tone and pace to it that I think um, it is beautiful to listen to. Whereas like other poems like um, uh, Black Marigolds, for example, is to be read. You used to read it um, because the way that it's laid out and the play on people's names versus what things mean versus like lowercase and capital and things like that. They really, they really, I, I worked hard on it, <laughs> you know? Um, I, I, put, I think I put a lot of effort into it. So I'd like someone to read it and take what they take from it. Because poetry in itself is an art form, the way that pays, the words are laid out on a page, if it's how you look at the page and how you come to that page will give you a particular feeling about that poem. And that's what I, I, I like to play around with. So yeah, both, I think, is the answer to, sorry, really long-winded. It's a poet's answer, okay? That's what we do. We give long-winded answers to tiny little questions. <laughs> so I've seen you perform, and you are really good. I I went to the Yoniverse event ages ago in Manchester, and I remember it was just you and two other people, and you just kind of sat around drinking tea and reading poems out, and I just thought, this is so cool. I'd never been to a poetry event like that before. It was like the audience weren't even there. You were just kind of having banter with each other. <laughs> and I remember something uh, I noticed then, and that goes through this book, is that there's a lot of sexual imagery, <laughs> bodily stuff. Oh. And, um, and the book's obviously called R.E. Desire, which kind of um, 
it it kind of sounds like a like an email subject line it's not like that sexy Ari I don't think but um did you think is that something that says a bit about your feelings about desire like maybe that it should be talked about more in emails or something yeah um god there's so much there so I guess as a South Asian woman, I'm simultaneously sexualized, hypersexualized, and also desexualized by Western media. So for me, like the the idea of like the title Ari Desire and writing a collection that's solely about loving and being loved was about subverting those sort of stereotypes and those images that come to us. So I'm I'm really keen on this idea of like how do I, as a South Asian woman who's only been given the understandings of desire and love in prepackaged forms, whether it's from South Asia as like someone who lives in the UK, or whether it's from a British perspective, an English perspective, which you know historically has been known and stereotypically known to be quite like prudish. How do I take those things and then learn to, you know, learn to love myself and learn to redesire myself and desire other people? So for me, it's it's about like the academic side of it as well, which often we find easier to talk about. We can talk about sexuality and and sex when it comes to academia, but we don't really talk about them in you know everyday spaces and when we do it suddenly feels like we're lowering the tone and why is that given that you know we do it in the same way that you know we have sex in the same way that we drink water or eat food you know it's a it's a it's a need it's a thing we do but the way we talk about it suddenly is um you know it's, it's in hushed tones or it's you know and we giggled when we both when we both talked about like the erotic and it, it's just that kind of notion that it is something to be giggled about and be like, oh, we'll talk about this like on a podcast, but like quietly in a corner. Um, and we won't we won't talk about it loudly. We won't proclaim it. And especially if you're a woman, especially if you're a woman of colour, you won't proclaim it. You won't talk about it in a way that is aggressive or is, um, you know, pr- crude, I think is the word that often gets associated with women that talk about sex. So I, I wanted to challenge all of those sort of stereotypes with it, but also find a new path amongst that. Like, what does it look like? to talk about love when your only ideas are love are either desexualized, hypersexualized, or from a very colonial perspective. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 We'll talk about it. Keep talking about it. It works. Just keep doing it. <laughs> it, and it finds it finds its way in everything I write about. You know, it's it's not I'll kind of I'll start, you know, one of the things that I that I do when I perform is read a poem by um called Mother Tongue and then I wrote it because my mum asked me to write a poem that wasn't about sex she sort of was like all your poems about sex you know why don't you write something that's like nice like why don't you write about me write about your mum so I was like okay I you know I wrote Mother Tongue and and it's weirdly like it's my only like really family friendly poem that I have um which is really weird because I keep getting invited to family like family like events and stuff and I'm like I can't really perform anything but that poem maybe one of the um you know because the rest of them are like (laughs) bit questionable for, for young kids um I forgot the thread of that but, um... <laughs> no I was gonna say because I was gonna ask if um you write about sex because you feel like you should or if you just that's just what's on your mind so that's just what comes out you know <laughs> <laughs> now you see the academic in me would say that I should I write about sex because I should write about it mm. right but also like the the crude uh, woman in me is like that's just on my mind you yeah. know because we don't talk about it because it's just it's there it's always constantly there but we don't we never reference it and for me that's that's what's really interesting you, you know take the bible as a collection of and I read it as like a collection of historical sources of like um mm-hmm. stories right there's an entire book that is that is essentially like 
about love and lust, but people don't read it. People don't read Songs of Solomon and they kind of ignore it and they kind of go, oh no, you only read that when you're married. And I'm like, but why? <laughs> if you only come to that book after you're with somebody, then you've lost, you, you're not learning anything from it. And and that's that's what I'm hoping is that, you know, from reading this stuff, from from hearing about talking about sex in particular ways, young people are like encouraged to talk about it more and to to find better ways through all of the dilemmas that we're having right now to get to a point where you know sexual assault is completely eradicated because we understand the word consent and we understand what it means to engage with each other as human beings um and that, that's why i write that's why i write everything that i do is to to shift um public gaze and to shift the way that we as humans interact with each other and um yeah and with the world yeah and just because you like writing as well do you know what I mean? I just couldn't. <laughs> I just couldn't not. <laughs> I was also I was also told once that I have um an ASMR friendly voice oh, yeah. after a performance. So I was like, well, there you have it. God told me to do it, so now I do that. Well, people won't listen to this podcast because your voice will be cancelled by my squeaky voice. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> not at all. So although you're an expert on poetry and writing, clearly. You're, I don't think you're an expert on your own poems because you're too close to them. Mm-hmm. So this is why I'm going to ask someone else to come in, not now, um, and read your poem, Black Marigolds, <gasps> and oh see what they think of it. So does that scare you? No, that's great. That's amazing. I love that sort of stuff. Um, <laughs> oh, bless them. Aww. <laughs> response oh that's what I'll say when they come in (laughs) because it's always it's really scary reading somebody else's work out loud for Mm. people to hear because poetry is is such a personal thing what you're doing is you're adding your own understanding of the world onto the poem as you read it so I've written it with one understanding when I wrote it however many years ago and when I reread it I'll reread it with a particular view of the world so my reading would have changed you know and every time you hear it it will change slightly so my you know, my awe was more about like, I'm really interested to see, <laughs> it's a very like uh, intimate thing to read a poem of somebody else's out loud because you're putting yourself onto the page. It's almost like you're rewriting the poem. Um, so it's a very vulnerable thing. Whoever it is, is gonna be doing. No pressure for them, no pressure. <laughs> so um, I'm gonna ask you to read it, but before you do, I just wanna say thank you for coming today. It's been so nice to talk to you. Thanks for having me. It's been, yeah, it has been really fun um, ranting and going off on tangents. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Black Marigolds. Chandani. Chandani. Did it rain? Stay. The rain took your shape. It didn't rain. Stay, please. She told him maybe to herself counted eight reasons not to. And then his other strolled in. Eight reasons not to turn to one reason to stay. Other was classy, but even the moon has craters. The type who probably had a Mobius strip between her legs and dated the Brazilian instead. She was a worldly woman, knowing about dawn and dusk and everything that came between. Though other had the preference for moonlight, she ignored Chandani, went straight to give Kieran a line. Light doesn't bend. And you, Kiran, are extremely kinky. She walked round to Chandani, 
looked her up and down, assessing, and then playfully slapped her with a lady's glove. What about you, Chunda? Are you bent? She elongated the name and let it roll around her mouth. Chandani returned the gaze. I reflect off what's given to me. Lights now turned on, Chandani played with his other, stood gracefully. Your other is really something, isn't she, Giran? Shame she's always looking for a new dawn. Giran was pissed, exited left, followed by her bear. Is that true, other? Are you? I guess. Kieran left, leaving them staring up into the sky looking for dead birds. Hi, Kirsty. Thank you for coming to talk to me today. So firstly, when someone says the word poetry to you, what is your general reaction? My general reaction is dread. <laughs> Why is that? I've just never been able to get into poetry in any shape or form. And it's something I've always struggled with throughout my life. And I don't know if that's, you know, I was thinking about my exposure to poetry is limited. And, you know, at school, in primary school, it was all around sort of Scottish poetry and Burns, which I have no real problem with and other sort of poems. So I do remember the, the poems of my, my youth, so to speak. But then kind of secondary school, it becomes more like Again, it's Scottish, like Norman McCabe, but then you do like things like the Ancient Mariner, and I guess there's poetry in some of Shakespeare's works. But then I have no real exposure to poetry other than the stuff that maybe my husband or others have tried to inflict on me <laughs> over the years. So it's, it's just something I find, and I'm such a an avid reader, you know, so I love reading, but I have such a barrier to poetry. Do you think it was those things you did in school like Shakespeare and you said the ancient mariner that kind of it kind of closed the lid on it a bit because you were a bit like what I don't get this at all I think so because I say I can still recite some poetry from primary school you know even lines from poetry that I learned as a, as a child and uh, and then it's yeah I think it's something happens at secondary school <laughs> and uh, yeah I think sometimes they get it wrong at that age they they don't give kids something relatable they they go for something really old and really difficult and then a lot of people are like well that's not for me and I also have memories of is it Japanese poetry this was one lines is it yeah like haikus haiku yeah so I think we had to do that as well which is quite challenging it's quite fun (laughs) 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 all right thank you so now we, we understand a bit about your your um, experience of poetry. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and what you do? Yep, so um, I work for a Scottish suicide prevention project called uh, United to Prevent Suicide. Um, so mental health and suicide prevention is a lifelong passion for me. And in recent times, I've been able to sort of take my personal passion for this subject into a more professional space. So it's great to be able to to, to be able to reach a wider audience rather than just me trying to, to raise awareness and reduce stigma about, about the really difficult topic of, of, of suicide. So um, but I think 
um, I connected with you, Annie, because of my work more recently, which is tied into my passion for reading. So I am a Save Glasgow Libraries uh, a campaigner. So I've been heavily involved with trying to get all our libraries in our city reopened over the last year post or the COVID lockdown of, of last summer. So, so yeah, that's one of my personal passions. But yeah, my work is all about suicide intervention. And we've had some real success recently in our local area because Langside Library reopened after being closed for almost, was it more than a year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. since so, the lockdown. So we're really happy about that. But there's lots more to do, isn't there? Yeah, so I was avidly outside Langside Library most weekends because that's my local library too. But now I've kind of led my support to the Cooper Institute, which is in Kipart in Glasgow. Um, and it's actually the library of my youth. So I've, I've actually got a, a real affinity, you know, my, my passion for reading um, was was spun out of, of you know, that um, ability to be able to take my mum and dad's library tickets along with my own ticket oh. and be able to get all my Valentine uh, Nancy Drew books back in the day so, so, <laughs> so I've got a real affinity with that library again from from my youth so um, sadly that isn't even on the list to get reopened so um, I worked on the campaign to, to save that library in the 90s so it's a building not just a library the building's really important to me and dance yeah. classes and my 21st and my wedding and things there so that's that's I'm happy to lend my uh, a hand to that campaign as well. Oh, that's so great. So it, you've mentioned reading. Is there any other ways you like to relax in your spare time? Um, I like yoga. So I, I try try and do yoga. All the sort of things that I normally like to do, like go to the theatre and, <laughs> um, and the cinema and other things like that have, have been much harder over the last year. Before I worked in this job, I worked at the Citizens Theatre for a while so oh, yeah. another another Glasgow institution so yeah that's that's what I would normally do it just made it a bit harder over the last year because of COVID but I'm part of a book group so that has continued virtually online um, through COVID so that has helped as well. It's so important the things that can carry on going through all of all of this isn't it like the things mm-hmm. we can still do when they're so limited. And I guess that's um I love traveling so that's been limited as well over the last year so I guess that's the, the power of books and poetry um, mm-hmm. to take us to, to other places that um, when we can't necessarily get there and sometimes we can never get there so for whatever reason so it allows us to to explore different places without leaving the comfort of our living room. So true okay so I want to ask you a question would you consider yourself an expert in anything and this could be something small like growing tomatoes it could be anything um professionally I'm a professional communications person you know marketing comms and laterally I've done a lot of fundraising in my life as well so um I guess personally Jeez, that is a really difficult question. Uh, I would say that I'm good at making connections and, you know, I value sort of relationships and friendships and, um, you know, I, I give back a lot in my community and things like that. So that's, that's what You're I would You're an expert say. in friendship. That's lovely. An expert in friendships. Maybe activism. Maybe that's, yeah. Great. Okay, well, you can only have one. You can only have one. <laughs> but for today, you are our poetry expert. 
Which fills me with dread. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. That's exactly what we want. So we're going to look at the poem Black Marigolds by Afshan D'Souza Lodi. Would you be able to read it out for me? Okay, here we go. Black Marigolds. Chandandi, Chandandi. Did it rain? Stay. The rain took your shape. It didn't rain. Stay. Please. She told him maybe. To herself, counted eight reasons not to. And then his Ada strolled in. Eight reasons not to turn to one reason to stay. Ada was classy. But even the moon has craters. The type who probably had a mobius strip between her legs dated the Brazilian instead. She was a worldly woman, knowing about dawn and dusk and everything that came between. Though Ada had a preference for moonlight, she ignored Chindandi, went straight to give Kieran a line. Light doesn't bend, and you, Kieran, are extremely kinky. She walked round to Chindandi, looked her up and down, assessing, then playfully slapped her with a lady's glove. What about you, Chandy? Are you bent? She elongated the name and let it roll around her mouth. Chindandi returned the gaze. I reflect off what's given to me. Lights now turned on. Chindandi played with his Ada, stood gracefully. Your Ada is really something, isn't she, Kieran? Shame she's always looking for a new dawn. Kieran was pissed, exited left followed by her, bear. Is that true, Ada? Are you? I guess. Kieran left, leaving them staring up into the sky, looking for dead birds. Thank you. That was really nicely read. I know it's a bit long and difficult. Um, but, so is that the first time you read that? I literally looked at it for two seconds before <laughs> I came on. I didn't, I'm one of these people, if I read it, then my brain would go all over the place and I'd want to start Googling things. So I wanted it to. <laughs> That's interesting because there is Googleable things in this poem. Um, so what are your first impressions of it? Is there any bit that stands out to you? I guess the title stands out. Really? Yeah, because when you sent me the email called Black Marigolds, you know, the thing that pops into my head is your traditional kind of marigolds red oh yeah orange and, and so again I don't really get the marigold thing when I read the poem so that's true for me as well I, I I think there's a sort of distance between the title and the poem it's like okay she doesn't mention uh, flowers in the poem at all or anything like that so yeah we'll we'll look back at at that afterwards but I think when I look at this poem the way it looks is the most, like, it catches my attention because it, it looks quite strange, doesn't it? Can you describe how the poem looks for the listeners who can't see it? Yeah, so for me, it's like there's a conversation going on. It, it, it looks like inside people's heads, but also externally. And I think the stuff that's actually like the speech 
So the start of the poem, for example, the Chandandi Chandandi and Did It Rain, those are all sort of, I think I think is a conversation happening. And that is all on sort of one lines with a dash at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then there's other parts where there's dashes. So I'm presuming that's where there is this sort of co- conversation going on, whereas the rest of the poem doesn't have those dashes. But it kind of the sentences scroll over maybe one two or three lines and it's also it's not all aligned the one way so the like none of it is sort of lined to the left so you've got sentences that start to the left but then by the third sort of line it's far over to the right so and that's how the poem actually ends as well it's sort of mm-hmm. it's not centered it's the last the very for dead birds on the last line isn't doesn't start at the beginning of the sort of left-hand side of the page. It's sort of in the middle of the full stop, so. Yeah, there's like indentations everywhere and it looks a bit sort of scattered. It looks strange, it, it doesn't look clear. It's not in like boxes. Poems, you, like when you think of poems, you think of them as sort of being in little stand, clear stanzas and, and sort of boxes. And I can say also that I've read quite a lot of poems, but I haven't, really ever seen this kind of indented dialogue in a poem that's that's quite new for me even uh, what effect do you think that has on the poem putting these sort of conversation bits in I think for me actually in this case because it's new to me and new to poetry I think it actually helps me because then you kind of know <laughs> that that's what's happening I think yeah I think the indentation thing could be it could put someone off reading this you know and maybe even it would have put me off reading it do you know what I mean I would have maybe just skipped over because I wouldn't it just doesn't look very accessible but I do like the I do like the conversation thing above that's what that is because I think the dashes work because it's kind of more like what you would see in a book in a story yeah it's it's sort of like it could be a script couldn't it yeah it could be a script as well so Um, yeah and that I guess if you don't like poetry or read poetry if you see a poem that doesn't look like a poem you might be like oh maybe I can get into this <laughs> um, so it's got the sort of scripty bit and it's also got a sort of narrated bit hasn't it like she did this and he did that um, yeah can you get like a storyline from it or like who are the characters and what's going on I couldn't quite work out I think I couldn't quite work out um, gender from this although there is he and her is mentioned but and I couldn't quite work out how many people were in play because you've got Chindande, you've got Ada, uh, you've got somebody else and then you've got <laughs> Keith and then you've got Kieran I think I think that's it but um I, you know I, I kind of get the loose there's jealousy there there's relationship there's the, the, the bit at the end is really interesting because it's like, I think the two people, I think there's something there about, you know, that, that bit about she's always looking for a new dawn. And then yeah. Kieran asks Ada if that's true. And she says, yes, so he leaves. <laughs> so I think um, that's pretty profound, you know, like, and I think, I think that, you know, in relationships, you don't necessarily always know what the other person is thinking or feeling and then when someone points something out so I think this is pointed out at the end of this poem and and he or she doesn't like the answer yeah I think it's it's true it's like it's quite upfront, isn't it do you do you (laughs) are you always looking for a new dawn yes 
okay, I'll go then. Yeah, I think that's really interesting what you said about gender. I get that as well. I think it's purposefully a bit confusing about uh, what gender each... I think there's three people, from what I can tell, but they all kind of meld into each other a bit because mm-hmm. it says Chandani played with his Ada and you're a bit like, who's... It, firstly, it's like, why is uh, Ada belonging to someone, his Ada, like that? She's always described as his Ada instead of just being Ada. Um, yeah, that's kind of... It's quite... Um, I don't know when this... I don't know when this was when this was um, produced, but that kind of feels old, you know, like that's that his Ada, mm. that sounds like an old, like something... It, it doesn't feel very modern. But then there are other aspects of the poem that, that do feel very modern. Yeah, I think so too. And that actually um, brings me to a quick Google that I did just before we <laughs> talked, because I I was I kept thinking I should I should Google black marigolds just in case it has some really obvious uh, meaning that I didn't know about. And I found out that it's like a re- it's an eleventh century love poem, a Kashmiri love poem. Wow. Um, called Black Marigolds. Uh, it's like a really long sort of epic poem about love and like a princess and all this stuff. And I think that might play it, that might give us some some information uh, of what's going on. Well, that's, I mean, it's pretty impressive if it's from the 11th century. Not this poem, sorry, not this poem. This is a modern poem. This came out this year or last year. All right, okay, but it's based on, on this 11th century poem. Or it's like a, an updated version, you know, because they're talking about kinky stuff and yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're asking, are you bent? And yeah, things like yeah. that. It's it's very modern. But that's amazing that someone can take something from the 11th century and make it modern. So that's, you know, that's what I was saying. It feels like a very modern thing, even though some of the language. And so that's maybe where that comes from. Yeah. So uh, for me, reading poems about asking questions and I think it's interesting you said earlier that you didn't want to read it because you'd want to start Googling things. Um, because some people read a poem and if they don't understand it, they just kind of shut down or they don't they don't look at it again because they just think, I don't get the reference or I don't get this. And some people love that, you know, like they read something and they go, oh, I wonder what this is referencing to and they like Google it or... Or another option is you can just read it and if you don't get the reference, just kind of carry on anyway and just enjoy the bits you do get. You know, there's kind of all different ways of reading a poem. But what would you have wanted to Google from this poem? Well, it's just the usual stuff like who who wrote it, when was it, when, when was it set and if there is any sort of, you know, clues to what some of this stuff means if, you know, I didn't, I didn't understand it. So... I tend to do that after my monthly book group books, regardless of whether I've understood them or not, I always kind of look up that sort of biographical mm. other books or works by the by the, 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 the writer, author, poet. Um, and then I just read a book recently. I understood the whole book and then the, except the last sort of couple of pages. So I, I had to, I spent quite a bit Googling to try and I couldn't find, <laughs> I couldn't find what it was. But, um, but I think what you said there, I still enjoyed the book. It didn't, it didn't take anything away, and I was, I could make assumptions about what the last sort of couple of pages meant. 
but it didn't take anything away from reading it. So maybe some of those things that I, those techniques I use in my reading um, of books. Another thing is I have this, the same way I feel about poetry, I feel about short stories as well. So there's definitely something there. Um, I think it's interesting what you say about about Googling things, because I thought you meant like specific things in the poem. Like I Googled what a Mobius strip was. Yeah, that's what I would, what does it mean? It's like a, um, it's a, it's a mathematics thing. You take like a, a rectangular strip, like example, think of like a, a ribbon and you, t- you twist one bit and then attach the ends. So it's a shape that only has one side and it's, look it up. <laughs> I'm very impressed with your um, understanding of that. I will definitely be Googling that. And, no, I uh, looked it up. I didn't know it. I, I didn't know that when I read no, the poem. No, no, that's what I'll, de- I'll definitely be. That was, that was probably the most difficult word to say in the poem and the word that I didn't know. And because it's it's got a capital M and then it's like a foreign word. So it's got yeah. the O. So that was, but yeah, that was probably the most difficult thing. And the, the, that was the thing I didn't, you know, just yeah. reading it like that. You just don't know. I love that bit about, um, just because I'm looking back at that line again, um, I love the lines before that about Ada was classy, but even the moon has craters. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? That's a great line. There's quite a lot of moon stuff in it as well. Maybe that's the sort of old stuff coming through, the old romantic kind of poetry stuff from the old poem that it's maybe loosely based on. Um, I was going to say, because you said when you read a book, you look up a sort of like you look up the context and maybe the synopsis or what other people think about it and I think that's really common for people reading and also reading poetry is that you like you think oh I need to look up what other people think about this or what's the blurb says is going on rather than actually thinking what do I think about this and what do I understand just from reading it with nothing else and I think that's really nice that we can go through this together and just talk about, like we we each know different things and bring different things to the table and use our own experience to read it. And we've got a kind of understanding of it in a short time. Do you feel like you sort of, you'll look at poems differently after this? Definitely, I think this has been a really interesting exercise and I love the point you make about just reading something and it doesn't really matter if you can't, if you don't understand all the words or you know if you take something away from one from one sentence yeah it doesn't even matter if you don't understand the whole poem like we don't know if this is a, a real story or if it's sort of a metaphor or if it's a yeah, dream yeah. we don't know any of that and we never will but and i think that's i think that's some of that stuff at school again is the challenge isn't it because we when you used to do interpretation stuff, I was like, well, how can, how can you get graded on that? How can you, like, because my interpretation of something is different from your interpretation. And that could be completely different from what the the writer or the poet meant. But unless the poet has been very explicit in that, then how can you mark me down or up for something that really is, you know, the word interpretation, that's what it's all about. So that always confused me. There's, there's never a right answer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's all just about what you think. And that's why, you know, you're always right. That's why you can be the expert, even though you say that you, ah. you don't read any poetry because it's only, the only thing that matters is what you take from it. 
I see what you did there. I see. I like it. I am the. I am the. I am the poetry expert today. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Everyone is okay. Great. I'm glad you. I'm glad you got that. Hopefully, the listeners <laughs> will get that too. But thank you so much for coming today, talking about this poem. Oh, thank you for giving me this opportunity. I've really, really enjoyed it. Join the conversation. To read the poem in full, go to www.time41poem. That's with the numbers four and one. .wordpress.com and comment with your own interpretation of the poem. This podcast was made using funding from the National Lottery through Creative Scotland. Thanks for listening.